Hey listeners, welcome to the Product Hunt weekly podcast. This is the podcast where us, your Product Hunt content team, break down the week's tech headlines, talk about the products making waves on the leaderboard and discuss the ones we love. I'm Aaron, I write the Daily Digest and I'm joined today by Product Hunt CEO Rajiv Ayangar. It's great to be here. I guess uh, I earned the right to return a second time so I didn't mess up too badly on the last podcast. So listeners, if you joined us last week, you might remember we discussed some of uh, 2023 Golden Kitty Award winners and categories, including Product of the Year, which of course went to GPT-4. For this week's episode, we're going to look take a look at another fairly iconic category in the Golden Kitty Awards, mobile apps. So mobile apps have been a mainstay category since just around 2016. Uh, the first ever winner was Tiny Cards by Duolingo. It's a flashcard app for learning languages. Since then, others like Obsidian and Cron have gone on to take the crown. Cron, of course, was acquired by Notion back in 2022 and relaunched recently as Notion Calendar. Before we get into the, this year's winner, let's just have a quick glance at the category itself. Uh, we had 743 iOS launches. 65 of them were in the top five. And for Android, we had 985. 70 were in the top five. The peak was actually in around 2015, 2016. Just in terms of iOS, there was 3,700 launches. 426 of them um, were in the top five. Yeah, with a category like this where it's, for certain types of products, almost required to have a mobile app, um, yeah. it's especially exciting to see the builders who really put the, the, the love and focus on the mobile app to have it rise above, where you, you might contrast it with some of the, the newer categories like... Uh, uh, like AI applications, where the, um, there's just a ton of creativity, the world is wide open, but a lot of the UX for AI is not well established yet. Whereas mm, yeah. um, with mobile, it's the challenges are well established, and the, a lot of the solutions are well established, and um, and it's still not easy to stand out. One one take on what's coming up, especially in the next year, is we're seeing potentially two platform shifts. One with mm-hmm. um, new human computer interaction models with AI and another around potentially AR. And yeah. uh, I think that it's it's interesting because we can see from the history here, there are many people who uh, are, you know, who are building, who experienced or had a hand in building for the last platform shift with mobile. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of those lessons will, will apply to the next platform shifts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, Vision Pro is a good example of that. I've seen countless companies, some of the bigger name ones coming out, launching apps. In fact, I just saw today that um, Microsoft are launching Microsoft Office on uh, the Vision Pro. So um, I don't know how many uh, listeners are going to be super excited to uh, work in uh, Excel spreadsheets in augmented reality. But if you are, today is your day. So yeah, that's a really, really interesting conversation. Um, yeah, there were, there were some great... Um, nominations uh, in this year's Golden Kitty but of course there can only be one uh, it takes home the crown and uh, the Golden Kitty trophy and this year that was Heavy spelled H-E-V-Y it's a workout logging app that combines proper gym form tutorials and exercise library some insightful analytics about your progress like how how much weight you lifted yesterday versus today and uh, key to it as well is this growing community of uh, passionate gym goers so it launched in 2019 originally on Product Hunt uh, by a team based in Barcelona. You can connect with friends, you can send messages, 
You can compare each other's workouts. And there's this like really cool gamification feature um, that takes like your recent statistics and uh, say, it was me and my brother. My brother is a personal trainer, right? And we both went for two or three workouts each and they compare like maybe our most recent statistics, some of our body metrics and stuff, and it would determine who is strong and more, etc. In my case, it would 100% be my brother. And no doubt about it. It'd be interesting to see if, <laughs> if, if I would beat anyone. Um, so far, it has 3 million users today and thousands of reviews on the iOS app store. And uh, not too long ago, they also uh, launched Heavy Coach. So Heavy Coach exists as the personal trainer's app. Uh, it kind of lets coaches manage their clients by workout routines and tracking progress. That's It's really cool to see a, a workout and training app start to mm. break through like that. Um, yeah. I know that, like, one, it is a category that makes a ton of sense to pour a lot of love into the mobile app for because you're bringing your phone to the gym, not bringing your laptop. Yeah. Uh, and there hasn't been, uh, to, to my awareness, like a mobile app that's, that's really broken through in the way that maybe Strava has broken through with kind of outdoor exercise or, um, you know, I, I think of Duolingo as paving the way for a lot of apps in this category with kind of social, um, you know, streaks and kind of social competitiveness. I would bet that a lot of, um, they, they've taken a lot of inspiration from, you know, Strava or Duolingo. Um, and I think like there's, uh, there's been a lot of, um, progress and uh, just evolution and how people think about working out. I know I've come to it somewhat recently. I've been climbing for almost 20 years and recently started working with a coach and, um, you know, through that had to learn a lot or got to learn a lot about, um, uh, some of the latest you know, training, training practices and it's evolving pretty quickly. Uh, and yeah. I think the community aspect is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I only recently downloaded uh, All Trails. It has, last time I checked, over 1 million paid subscribers. Um, it has tens of millions uh, daily active users. Um, and um, I think, like, looking back, I think uh, the pandemic that we just went through did a lot of good. Uh, um, you know, if you, if you take heavy... Um, you know, this is an app that you can use at home as well. I've used at home. It has it has form tutorials for home workouts and everything, which I'm sure right. they probably leveraged during the pandemic. Right. Another another reason I'm kind of excited to see that an app like this break through is that historically this uh, this category has been really fragmented, and and a lot of the, the apps have found like a lot of love, but in small markets. Um, yeah. You know, because the way people think about training can be very can be varied. Very similar to productivity, um, yeah, and personal personal productivity. Um, but like, I'm starting to become aware of a lot of apps that are focused on uh, niches. For example, for example, like from from the worlds that are interesting to me, you have Kaya, and uh, for climbing, like logging your climbs indoors and outdoors. You have Crimped for for training, um, and then uh, for there's a community of students who practice classical music. Uh, tonic oh, nice. app, uh, and it's really cool to see the influences that all of these these apps have, and and again a lot of a lot of references to like Duolingo and Strava. But um, nice, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to like even more uh, kind of varied interests as uh, as we go forward. I mean, that's sort of what the internet is about. I think a lot of apps now are kind of capitalizing on 
these niche uh, these niche communities that people want. So um, like a few that I'm involved in are like house plants and like home growing vegetables and uh, of course cooking and stuff. And um, I think the kind of natural progression for this is to make native apps out of it as well. But yeah, um, some others that um, were nom- uh, nominations in the 2023 Golden Kitty Awards were Taskade, which is an all-in-one ca- collaboration tool for for teams, and Rainbow AI, an AI-powered weather app designed to make uh, both the weather and you more predictable, which as someone living in Ireland is really, really useful considering we had two storms, one after the other last week with basically zero warning. For me in San Francisco, I was like, you could have a weather app that's just a static screen that says it's slightly chilly and I'd be fine. <laughs> no, they, they should make one for like timing exact moments. Um, Carol, the fog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the exact moments Carol comes in and goes away, maybe. Do you remember the f-ing weather app? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was so beautifully designed. Speaking of beautiful iOS apps, it's just like, f-ing cold. That's all it said. Or like, f-ing hot. Yeah, it was just a, it was so simple and so beautiful. Uh, I love I love that. I'm pretty sure over here, nine nine days out of ten, it's like raining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do miss the like playfulness of the early mobile days where you had mm. this explosion of people just trying out the platform. Like I remember there was this app that had a red icon and it was called Ethan. And you text Ethan. Oh, yeah. You just message Ethan. Yeah. And he would yeah. message back until he got overloaded. Just, you know, just playing with the platform. Uh, I, it's I like saw the, a... the, the Duchamp's toilet of mobile apps, you know? <laughs> I saw a TikTok um, that was super nostalgic for me. Do you remember like the beer apps? Uh, and you'd like hold your phone up. Uh, like when the iPhone yeah. first kind of came out and the beer would like go away as if, as in to say that you were drinking it. I love those things. I thought I was so cool. Uh, what, yeah. What and and there was like a lighter one. And I remember um, someone released, I think it was like the diamond app or something. It was like $9,000. And all it was yeah. was like a picture of a diamond. Yeah, that's. I think that's the fun thing with the early days of a platform shift. Mm. And you know, we're seeing that with AI, just the playfulness. I love that really early phase when people are just messing around with things, seeing what they can break, seeing what the limits are. Seeing how they can make people laugh with us, um, how they can go viral with. But yeah, listeners, that is your rundown for the mobile app uh, category in the Product Golden Kitty Awards for 2023. Again, big congratulations to Heavy, spelled H-E-V-Y, if you're looking for in the app store. Congrats to all the other nominations that made it through. So, listeners, sticking to the theme of the 2023 Golden Kitty Awards, next up we have an interview with Bobby Pinero, founder of Equals, whose product dashboard went on to win the data and data security category in the 2023 Golden Kitty Awards. Sarah, my co-host, who's back from vacation, is here to introduce Bobby. Thanks, Aaron. And Bobby, it's great to see you. Um, I think a year and a half since I saw your launch, um, first come across Product Hunt. Um, and that was Equals. So uh, Equals launched on Product Hunt in June of 2022. So about a year and a half now. And it's a next generation spreadsheet uh, and it integrates directly to your data. Um, by the way, I was just looking at your website. I love the branding and tone there. A lot of fun stuff. Definitely very modern and not stuffy mm-hmm. as we expect spreadsheets to be. 
Um, but yeah, Bobby, I'd love for you to just give a little bit of intro for those who aren't familiar with Equals. What is Equals? What is a next-gen spreadsheet? Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, really excited to be on and um, just uh, kind of flattered that the community voted us uh, the best uh, data product in 2023. Uh, just really, really, really excited about that and the progress that we've made. Um, so what is Equals? Well, maybe before I'd say what is Equals, my background before I started Equals about three years ago with my co-founder, Ben. Uh, before that, spent about 10 years as an analyst myself uh, and did that primarily at a company called Intercom. Uh, was there from 20 employees through 700 employees. And so Equals for, for me was my answer for what is the data tool that I wish had existed in those kind of eight years in that journey. And the whole thesis behind Equals is that the spreadsheet's right. People want a spreadsheet. I've been pitched data tool after data tool after data tool over the past decade. All of them in some way, shape or form, trying to take me out of the spreadsheet, trying to give me a, a new BI tool, a new notebook, some verticalized kind of specific thing that answers a very specific question or problem that I have as a finance person. Yet I always ended up back in a spreadsheet because I needed the flexibility and the kind of familiarity of that tool. And so Equals is our answer for what would a spreadsheet look like if it was built today? Google Sheets was built 17 years ago. Excel was built almost 40 years ago. Uh, and so it's just the true that if a spreadsheet were to be re rebuilt today, one, it would be connected to all the places where you do analyses. Analyses start today in databases, in modern SaaS tools. Um, and then they should be connected to the places where analyses get shared. Slack, email, Google Slides. And so equal to that, it's a spreadsheet connected to where your analysis start and where your analyses end. Uh, I just have one thing to say um, about uh, equals and dashboard. Um, it's probably the first time I've had fun using a spreadsheet in my whole life. Yes. I think so. One of the things that we set out uh, to accomplish when we started equals was I wanted that exact feeling. I wanted people to... Mm -hmm. Uh, feel kind of joy when they open like there's like a certain amount of like people love excel but they also dread it when they open it they're like you know even now after using equals for a few years i'm like oh excel is just this um it's amazing but it's also so painful and so old and so mm -hmm. for me a big part of what uh my kind of goal and aspiration was to create a tool you look at like designers have figma Engineers have GitHub, uh, marketers have a whole slew of new tools, but us analysts, we're kind of stuck in the same workflows and you, you come to work every day and you're like, where's the thing that's fun to use, exciting, that's like light on the fingers, um, modern and playful. And that, that's a lot of tried to use into equals. I want to zoom out one more for one more second here. I, I mentioned equals launched a year and a half ago. Uh, since then, Equals has had several launches and you, as you guys continue to add to your product and iterate on it. Um, tell me a little bit more about Dashboard, which is um, the, the uh, launch that you guys actually uh, won the Golden Kitty with. And, um, and again, just one of the most recent iterations of your product. Yeah, Dashboards, uh, you can kind of think of Equals now. So prior to Dashboards, you could think of Equals as kind of two components. One was uh, the spreadsheet. So uh, we rebuilt the spreadsheet from ground up. We've added some kind of modern elements to it. Uh, but at the core equals is a spreadsheet that works exactly like Google Sheets, exactly like Excel, 
down to the shortcuts, down to the formulas, everything. Uh, and then the second piece of equals is the, are all the connectors. So you can connect to a SQL database and you can connect anywhere your data is. Salesforce, Stripe, QuickBooks, Google Analytics, AdWords, LinkedIn ads, Facebook ads, you name it. Um, and so dashboards kind of rounds out the third piece of equals, which is if you can connect to all your places where your data lives, work with it live in a spreadsheet. You've got, again, the spreadsheet here at the center to kind of build any analysis you want to. Dashboards is kind of the, 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 the front end to your spreadsheet. It's the place where you can go and build a BI grade type uh, summary of your analyses. And then uh, most importantly, uh, one of the things that I always struggled with or one of the, my frustrations with BI tools in general was you end up building all these dashboards that you ask people to log in and go look at and they never do because they have to remember to log into them. And so a big component of our version of dashboards is that they're connected and pushed into the places where people do their work already. So analyses and data and reports meet people where they're having conversations about their business, where they're having conversations with their colleagues. Um, so that just felt a really, really important component of dashboard. When we started this call, um... Bobby was making a joke that he's uh, turning this into a sales call uh, to get the team using equals and it's uh, definitely working already. I mean, as a as a marketer, I have many sources of data. You mentioned data analysts. Who is equals or dashboards for? Is it for the data analysts or is it for everyone? Yeah, uh, it's so our, the the kind of primary people that use equals today are uh, early stage companies, series A, series uh, even earlier than that, we get a lot of founders who are trying to consolidate all their different data sources. But our kind of our kind of sweet spot are uh, folks like me. Eight years ago, ten years ago, when I first joined Intercom, it's that first finance hire, it's the first biz ops hire, it's the first kind of person who is responsible for building out the set of reporting at a company. Um, it might be a founder uh, in some cases, but it's uh, you know Equals is in this really unique position where. Almost every other data tool out there connects only to a database, but early stage companies, they haven't gone through the process of consolidating, consolidating all of their data. They don't have everything in the database. And so go look at most early stage companies and they're either not looking at metrics because they can't pull it all together. Or when they do have to look at things, they're looking at it on a too infrequent basis or they're spending just far too much time doing it. And so we fit in because we can connect to all the things that they work with. We allow them to automate it. We allow them to work in a way in which they already know they don't have to learn another tool. And then they can move quickly because their analyses are pushed direct places where they already do their work. That's awesome. And I think that echoing what Aaron mentioned earlier, you've managed to pave a really smooth path for the new user. Like Aaron and I were able to get Intercom hooked up and have a report sent out to Slack in a channel in about five minutes. And it felt wow. nice. We nice. still have a lot of work to do, uh, but um, that's, that's awesome to hear. That's really good. Yeah. I've got some some questions kind of on your on your days at Intercom, and then I want to dive into some questions on Equals because it's a really it's a really interesting type of product working with an existing category, which is spreadsheets that has a ton of history and a ton of complexity and a ton of power. First, actually, I got a question from uh, a friend from Intercom, Patrick Finlay. He said he he noted that like you were there very very early from I think under a million ARR to over 120 20 million, and thought that maybe you have some interesting thoughts on 
picking a rocket ship? I think for me, when I joined Intercom, the main thing that I was looking for, if I were to go join another early stage company, the main thing I'm for are, and this is built into the DNA of equals as well. Um, for me, it was really, really important that the company be product first, that the founders that I work with are product people, that they are people who love innovating, love that can build world-class product that have all sorts of crazy, creative new ideas. The reason you see a ship so fast is it's, that's how we, the, the job I was in prior to Intercom, uh, I was in a company where, uh, the founders were more kind of marketing, sales, tech banks. And we just ran into these issues where we'd get to a point where we had the LTV model down to science. We could bid on, uh, AdWords. We knew the CPCs. We knew exactly how to acquire customers. But as soon as that market started to mature a little bit, competitors started to come in, CPCs started to go up. So all of a sudden we didn't have the product know-how to go and build something that would massively increase the LTV of the product, right? And as soon as that starts happening, the business starts to go sideways because your, your, your cost of acquiring a customer goes up and you can't change the lifetime value. And so as I was thinking about what's next, for me, it was product first, product founders. And the reason I joined Intercom was I actually went on Twitter, I just went on Twitter and I just started reading. I just searched for Intercom. This was again, it was Intercom with less than 20 people. Um, and I just remember reading all the incredible comments that people had. Oh my God, love Intercom. I can't live without this tool. Um, you know, just the praise for the product. Uh, and that was the thing that jumped me, that, that kind of that made me jump in. The rest is you kind of have to figure it out and you join a startup to make it work. You don't join it to kind of uh, just expecting it to work. So true. So true. As, as Intercom scaled, like I imagine you faced a lot of challenges, a lot of things broke, which a lot of which led to your inspiration for equals for you personally, what was, where were you stretched the most? What did you struggle with the most? So many things. I think the, there were, you know, I think in scaling. Uh, in the early days, I think I struggled a lot with just kind of, you know, I was 25 in the first finance hire and like fundraising process, these in every board meeting. And so part of it was just like, you know, there's a certain psychology that you need to get to a place where you're confident and comfortable being in those rooms and in those conversations. And so partly for me, it was just learning to be okay and comfortable and confident, doing all the work I needed to do to make sure when I jumped into a board meeting, when I was, you know, um, running an exec, uh, meeting, uh, that I had again, put in hours and the necessary work to, to, to feel okay doing that. And then, uh, hiring, hiring was hard when you're, you know, when you're again, kind of, this is the first time that you're scaling a finance function. It's the first time scaling an analytics function. You have to convince people to bet on you as a leader. And so a big part of like my, lear my learning there was like going from how do I, how do I be the person who's doing all the work to how to, how do I then work through the team and how do I empower the team to be able to do that? I'm curious if you could share a certain lesson or roadblock that you kind of overcame and you, you share with other people in terms of how you hire. Well, there was one person in particular that I wanted to hire and he was the former, uh, VP of finance at Netflix. And he, I'm like 28, 29, and I'm trying to get him to, I'm trying to convince him to join the finance team at Intracom. And, uh, you know, he, I wanted him to join as our controller and 
this was a really important role for me because I'm not an accountant, no matter if I don't have that that background. Like my role is more on the strategic side. So for me, it felt it was really important. Like I need to have that part of the business shored up. I need to have somebody that I fully, fully trust. That uh, you know, I worked on hiring him for quite some time, and the the thing that kind of clicked for me there was just pitching him on, hey, this is a partnership. This is a you're coming in. I'm you're coming to teach me. You're coming here to. Uh, build this function, build this team with me. Um, this is not, I'm not, maybe technically I am your boss, but I'm also, you know, we're like partners in doing this and we're going to build this finance team together. And, um, and then once he joined, it was a matter of kind of empowering him and my job kind of changing from being in the weeds to, uh, just giving him as much context as I possibly could about what was happening across taking every conversation that we were having in the exact meetings and be just being kind of like this vessel for communicating between the highest levels of the company, the board, and this person who was insanely good at what they do. So we've got a question from another intercom founder, ex-intercom founder, Rory Hughes, uh, who just hits the nail on the head. Excel is so sticky in finance and operations. What are like the biggest discoveries you've had? to get teams to use equals over Excel, whether it's a feature or a way of pitching or another strategy? So um, the, there are certainly a lot, a lot of people, and I bump into them every day, that are like, you'll never pry Excel out of my cold dead hands. And that's okay. Uh, they are not ready, but one day we will. We will. Um, the, uh, the, the main thing I've learned is, uh, and this is true from the very beginning of equals, but um, the pitches never get rid of Excel. Um, the pitch is usually some version of, tell me about the Excel file that you have that you hate. Tell me about the one process that you can't automate right now. You've got dashboards in Tableau. You've got dashboards in Looker. Tell me about the one thing that you send every week to the exact team that's not in those tools. And there's always a reason. It's because the, the BI tool isn't flexible enough to be able to build the thing that they want uh, or the data source isn't, can't connect to it or whatever the reason is. And so the way we always get in is we say, literally on the first sales call, it's screen share with me and show me the Excel file. And almost everybody is like, oh yeah, I have this thing that I hate and it's, oh, I spend an hour every week updating this thing. They're like, they both hate it, but they're also like weirdly proud of it because it's like this Excel file. And most of the time we just say, hey, okay, what would it mean for you to automate that, to get that off your plate? to have something that instead of you doing this every week on a manual basis, let's just run it. We'll rebuild it for you in equals. We'll stand it up for you. And then from there, we do that with, you know, we, we do that for one person in one company. We save them, you know, a couple hours a month. And then all of a sudden that dashboard gets pushed into a Slack channel. People are like, holy smokes, what is this? Then gets pulled into another team and into another team. And it just kind of spreads from there. Uh, you have that that kind of land and expand or bot, very bottoms up motion. It can be really, really critical to choose like clear early personas. Uh, was there a moment where you felt, oh, I really understand more specifically who we should build for? And um, yes, uh, you know, I think uh, like one of the benefits of uh, one of the things that I think uh, I, we got lucky with with equals was I am the buyer. And so in a lot of ways, um, 
you know, I, kudos to founders out there who are building products and going into spaces that they're not the buyers for. Like I find that to be like really hard and scary and daunting. So much of what has helped us uh, as a company has been the fact that I did the job, that there are things that I wish I had known 10 years ago when I was taking this first job at Intercom. And so in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, the persona was like, let's go find, you know, people that are like me eight years ago, 10 years ago uh, at Intercom. The thing I've been surprised about is how many uh, founders and kind of folks that are a little bit more kind of adjacent to my role who started to pick up equals and the things that have kind of changed from as a result of that are we've had to make the product a little bit more, um, how would I say this? Like easy, I guess it's easier to adopt uh, for people who are less SQL savvy and less spreadsheet savvy. Um, and so you'll see things like, you know, we've, we have all the Excel keyboard shortcuts, but then we also have the keg. K is like our way for any single individual who's not necessarily a former iBanker to be able to make a spreadsheet fly just using their keyboard. Kind of leads me to, when you're building a tool that incorporates within it a whole class of interactions from a familiar and powerful category like spreadsheets, you kind of think about simplicity, familiarity, what's new, and then what's like old and powerful in the product? The great question. So when we started Equals, one of the, the, the most common reactions we got when I was, when we were going out to fundraise for our seed was no way, no chance. Absolutely no, like you won't be able to do it. Do you know how many dead spreadsheet companies there are? Do you know how many people have tried to do this and failed? Um, and the, I think the thing that, the insight that we had that, and look, it's all still, TBD and to be proven, we have a long way to go. Um, but the insight that I think we, we, we had that was different from, I think a lot of these other kind of dead spreadsheet companies and folks that have taken on Excel and sheets. Um, and this gets to the UX point, um, was that we actually like the spreadsheet is correct. And so the reason why we were able to build, like people said, you're never going to build it. It's impossible. And the reason why we were able to build equals so fast and the, the, the got an incredible R and D team, the incredible, uh, co-founder, but he's just, uh, like world, 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 world class. Um, but the thing that we set out from the very beginning was we're not changing anything about the spreadsheet. And so we're making one bet, one single product that the bet is that if we build a spreadsheet that's connected to your data, that is a winning product. That is, that solves enough of a problem for enough, enough people for us to get early traction to then go and build all the things that we want to build down the line. But the bet was the spreadsheet. So from the very beginning, from the moment we hired our very first engineer, the directive was do not change a single thing about the spreadsheet. I don't want to hear about a new way a formula should work. A pivot table should be the exact same thing. I don't want to hear a, like a new concept for conditional formatting, for sorting, for filtering, nothing like that exactly the same and a lot of folks spend you know you can spend a lot of time rethinking what a pivot table should be could spend years doing that redesigning it re oh like it should work this way um and so for us it was that just if you have a question about how it works open up excel and that was that like that was um that allowed us to really really quickly 
And then over time, you know, we got to that play point where it was, okay, we've got this connected spreadsheet. We're starting to get people on. We, we solve a real problem for real people. We get real workflows. Okay. Then now what are the things that we can start to do to evolve the spreadsheet? What are ways we can make, you know, delight people? What are ways in which we can solve for the really annoying things uh, in Excel? Like uh, if you move a column around and all your, 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 your formulas break, is there a better way to do that? But not from the beginning. We don't have, we don't want to educate people on that. We don't want to have to build it. We decide it. We think about it. It sounds like there's two advantages to that approach. If I were to play, play back what I heard, like in the early days when you're building an innovation on top of a really powerful existing tool, you need to be very focused on what your innovation surface area is. And that has an advantage both in speed of building and also in, as you're getting early feedback from users, they're responding to one thing that is new. And then as you discover like what the hook is, as users pull on that hook and ask you for more and more value, they'll start to ask you for changes in some of the more um, familiar parts as well. But then you have user signal and you can build to that with confidence. That was it. That's exactly it. It was make one bet. And so the one bet was data, data connected to a spreadsheet. And then from there, you know, then we're not like, to your point, we're not confused about it. Is it the pivot table thing? Is it the, you know, the way charts are? No, it's, we, we know people are coming to us for the data problem. And that's the thing that we're solving. And then from there, the other piece of it that I would say was really important in the early days, Matima, we have something that's okay enough. Can we ship it? Can we start getting people using it? The thing that we're building in is the, the bar for what we're building is so, 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 so high. People have such high expectations. When you say it's spreadsheet, most of the time when you, when we say we're a modern spreadsheet, people are like, yeah, right. It doesn't, it's not actually a spreadsheet. Uh, there are two spreadsheets out there. It's not really a spreadsheet. That's because people's expectations of what a spreadsheet is, again, so, 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 so high. And so we, from the, you know, uh, Ben, my co-founder, uh, and I pushed really hard on the team. And we had to explain it often, every week, remind people why we're building so much before we take it into market, why we're demanding that the spreadsheet work the, the be an ad, like a traditional kind of startup MVP. It has to be a complete build. It has to feel like a spreadsheet. It has to have, you know, 80% of the features of a spreadsheet. The interactions have to be uh, slick. It has to be fast because that's what people expect of it. And so it was the one bet and then it was a really big bet. And we needed to get that bet to almost completion before we could launch something. I've got, I've got this like, I've got this question that from the world of analytics, because I used to be a, a data in the data science world. I don't know if it applies to spreadsheets, but I think a lot in terms of analytics tools of signal to noise at the organizational level, like you can make certain analytics tools that make it really quick and easy to get wrong answers. And that can be profoundly damaging to the organization because it's really hard to validate. It's not like code where you can run it and see if it compiles or run tests. It's very hard to do that with data. Does that analogy exists in like financial analyst world and how do you think about making certain workflows easier and potentially creating more noise in the organization for sure i mean this is one of the founding so one of the founding kind of theses of, of equals rogue spreadsheet is what i call it and this happens in every scaling organization you know all the way to the world's absolute biggest companies and the rogue spreadsheet is basically a spreadsheet that gets flung around an organization. It's got 
data copied and pasted in from who knows where, who knows when they pulled it, who knows how they pulled it, and nobody knows how to update it. And yet there's a VP of sales pounding on the table in the meeting about some stat that's in that rogue spreadsheet. And you've, uh, you've got these functions that take a staff engineer from Google to parse. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And they go like, you know, man, you can Google like horrible decisions that have been made on bad spreadsheets. You'll, you'll, there's like lifts and lifts of them. Billions of dollars of costs, like GDP and uh, issues in organization. Anyways, one of the uh, kind of insights that I had or you know, we had in starting equals was you just see all these spreadsheets flying across the organization and it's like, hold on a sec. Every, every analysis that you, sh that you create should be reproducible as an analyst. Like if you remember, you, you go back to like high school math, the math teacher pounding on the table and being like, show your work, show your work. You get partial credit on a test, show your work. If you show me the steps in which you got there and that yet 90% of analysis happened in spreadsheets and people can't show their work. They can't show how they got there because their work starts with how they pulled their data, where they got it. Um, and so for large organizations, so, so we solved this like singular problem for analysts who are stuck in these like manual workflows. But then we also, you know, take on this problem within an organization where all of a sudden your work becomes reproducible. Are spreadsheets the future of all dashboards? I believe so, yeah. Uh, I think there's a whole, uh, if you look in like most workflows right now in a company, it's like, what are we doing? Why are we in all these like roundabout workflows? Why are we like pulling, bouncing between all these different tools? I actually think BI tools exist. The whole category of BI exists because the spreadsheet is not automated. Cannot You cannot build dashboards in it. And so will we come full circle back to a spreadsheet, a spreadsheet that can build dashboards, a spreadsheet that can automate your work? I think so. That's all we have time for today, uh, folks. Um, Bobby, again, uh, super grateful to have you on with. Thanks a million for joining. Um, it was a great interview. Um, again, congrats big time on winning, winning Golden Kitty Award. Thank you for having me on. This has been really fun. Thanks for coming on. And hopefully next Amazing. time we talk, we'll uh, see the Golden Kitty statue on that shelf behind you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't put it up there. Yeah. So tune in next week where we'll have more interviews with Golden Kitty Award winners. Bye.